But oftentimes at a charter school, there's a bit more maybe autonomy, more flexibility. I think it, at least at the places, the charter schools that I've worked at, the teacher has a really tangible say in, in the day-to-day operations. And I think that that is something that's really attractive to a lot of teachers, why they get into education. It's, you know, here's an opportunity where I get to you know, be the architect of my classroom. From our perspective, as we're out recruiting teachers, you know, we we want people that that care deeply about kids, care deeply about the community, and we'll support you to become the best teacher that you can be. Welcome to the Nonprofit Podcast Network. Our purpose and passion is to highlight a nonprofit organization in each episode giving that organization an opportunity to tell their story in their words to better inform and educate the respective communities they serve, as well as provide one more tool for them to share their message to constituents and donors. Hi, I'm Jeff Holden, Principal of Multipoint Content Strategies and Hear Me Now Studio. We provide this forum pro bono to help build stronger communities through shared voices and to both encourage and support the growth of local nonprofit organizations through podcasting. I'm pleased to welcome Kevin Dobson to the Nonprofit Podcast Series. Kevin is the founder and director of Capital College and Career Academy. He's focusing on educational-related elements, including career tech education and community and youth engagement. He's worked in the field of education for over a decade as both a classroom teacher and a principal. He spent the last five years at Natomas Charter School. Kevin has participated in a wide range of leadership activities on a variety of school campuses and demonstrated a continued passion for hands-on learning. He has a master's degree in education and curriculum with an emphasis on technology in the classroom from University of San Diego, and he has his second master's in educational leadership and policy studies from Sacramento State. His students have received local and national recognition for their work. As a high school principal, Kevin helped develop a school-wide system of support and led the effort to build a dual enrollment program between Natomas Charter and American River College. This increased enrollment by nearly 200%. He's led numerous teacher initiatives and instituted a systemic approach to professional learning communities. Kevin was also recognized as Teacher of the Year for his academy in 2018 and was nominated for the Gilder Lehrman History Teacher of the Year for the 2018-2019 school year prior to moving into administration. So, Kevin, welcome. Thanks for having me today. I'm excited to be here. Excited to hear the story. I think many people have a question of really what is a charter school? Yep. We have public and we have private and we have denominational. Can you help us understand a little bit more about what it is? What is a charter school. Yeah, I've been very fortunate in, in the the development of Capital College Career Academy to work with some of the charter pioneers. For example, Don Shalvey, who was the oversaw the very first charter in the state of California, previously worked at Natomas Charter School under Tink Sun, who was right there in that cohort of first charters. And Gary Hart, you know, interacted with him when he was still around. First and foremost, charter schools are public free public charter schools. They're they're free public schools that really are meant to be innovative, to rethink education in different ways. Originally, the intent of charters 
was to cut through a lot of the bureaucracy. There's a great video of Gary Hart talking about that initial legislation. And he said he looked behind his desk and he had all these books. He said, what is this? And they said, that's Ed Code. And he said, well, no wonder why nothing's functioning correctly or, or in a timely manner. And so I think the original intent, and you know, as talking to some of those mentors that I've referenced, the original idea was this charter school that will have less restrictions, will be able to rethink education, do that in a different way. And ultimately, the, your traditional comprehensive public schools will adopt those models, and there'll be no need for charters. And, then, and I think the original intent was that charters kind of go away on their own. Here we are 30-plus years later, and I think it's just a chasm has you know, grown between the two. I think one of the misnomers is that people don't see charters as part of the public school system. Yeah. And that distinction of my public school in the neighborhood community versus the charter school, whichever space it may be in. Can you maybe explain the differences? And you also mentioned ed code. I'm assuming that educational code. Right. That what the distinctions are, what happens differently in a charter school versus a public school if they're both somewhat public? A, a big thing that is often misunderstood, as a public charter school, we are not able to ask for a student's grades. We're not able to ask if they have an IEP on the front end. We can't ask any of that identifying information. And so a student comes to us, they have to apply to get in. So that is you know, somewhat different. It's not your home school. There is an application process. But we have to admit all students that apply, if we have more students that have applied and seats available, then we get into a lottery system. But you know, again, using my own family, I have a stepson who's a senior now in high school, goes to one of the large comprehensive high schools. He's in the IB program. He actually had to submit his grades, be admitted into the IB program. So that's one key fundamental difference. Another typical difference is you do, per education code, have a little more flexibility in the way that you approach your curriculum. That There's less instructional days required of a charter school, although oftentimes you'll see charters have an extended school year or more days. There's also less restrictions around instructional minutes sometimes. And I think another key difference, and this is where it becomes more and more political, typically charter schools tend to not be unionized, whereas your traditional comprehensive high school, middle school, elementary school tend to almost always be unionized. And so that's a, a key difference there as well. Again, important distinction to make that you can still be at a charter school and still can be unionized as a teaching staff. Does the unionization or lack thereof at the charter school change the criteria and requirements necessary for the teachers? I think, you know, another big difference that, that kind of comes with that is oftentimes you're not seeing tenure at a, at a charter school. And so the teaching requirements in terms of the credentials that are needed remain the same, essentially, if you are a charter versus your, your traditional comprehensive school. There was a time where that was a little different. Now they are essentially aligned directly. But the original intent of charters is always there, and I think it's still there among staff, is that these are opportunities to really think outside the box, be innovative. I mean, when you look in California Education Code and you see the description of a charter, really the intent is that you take people from the community, educators, and give them an opportunity to think outside the box and really think creatively about how do we best educate our young people and, and prepare them for the world to, of tomorrow. Is part of the distinction between a charter school and, let's say, a public school system school the ability to flex that curriculum for the students to have a different curriculum, but still needing the same outcome at the end for requirements for graduation, et cetera. Yeah, I think 
not to answer that with a with a, a question, but I guess another way to to consider that the 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 idea with a charter is that you you're authorized by a, a district or you know in our case the county office of ed, and so with that flexibility comes the fact that you know they're going to hold your feet to the fire. Have you met the metrics that you've set out for yourself? And you know a charter can be revoked in that sense. Whereas at your traditional comprehensive school, there isn't any accountability in that sense. That school will always continue to operate. And certainly there's steps if if they're not, you know, performing at a certain level to, to remedy that. But a charter, I mean, that that's the intent. You get more flexibility, but there is a higher level of accountability in terms of that authorization and, and being able to operate. How do you recruit and how do you retain teachers when there are different opportunities that provide security going forward? Yeah, one of the things that, that I've seen as, as a former charter school employee, as a, as a teacher, is that oftentimes at a charter school, there's a bit more maybe autonomy, more flexibility. I think it, at least at the places, the charter schools that I've worked at, the teacher has a really tangible say in, in the day-to-day operations. And I think that that is something that's really attractive to a lot of teachers, why they get into education. It's, you know, here's an opportunity where I get to, you know, be the architect of my classroom. I, I get to maybe have... A, different freedoms that I just wouldn't have in this large comprehensive system where it's, you know, here's the curriculum that I need to teach on this day. And I've got five other people that are teaching the same thing on that day. And so in terms of, you know, how, how do we attract teachers to our model and, and, you know, how do they, they feel secure in that sense? I think it, you know, it's a different model. And so it maybe attracts a different person. I think from our perspective, as we're out recruiting teachers, you know, we, we want people that, that care deeply about kids, care deeply about the community and we'll support you to become the best teacher that you can be. And, you know, that's always what we're looking for is just those people that have a real passion for kids. I think the next question is, is the tough one. And everybody looks at all the money that goes to the school system. And I'm not saying it goes to the schools, but it definitely goes to the school system. Are the charter schools funded from the same place? Yeah, charter schools receive funding through their average daily attendance, through our local control funding formula. What is fascinating, I mean, there's a number of articles that are out there. I think two really interesting points. One is Stanford came out with a study earlier this year that found that charter schools improve the learning outcomes of all those in surrounding schools. So I think the original intent behind charters has proven to be a model that not only improves learning outcomes at that individual school site, but at the surrounding schools. The other side of, of of that is just that, you know, it, it is a, there is research that has shown time and again that charter schools are having better student learning outcomes for underrepresented students at a fraction of the cost typically. And, and that's something that is, I think, really unique with the model as well. Which begs the next question then. I'm a parent in a younger community with a lot of children who are going to school, school school-aged children. I have options in that community to send them to school A or school B, A being traditional, Mm -hmm. B being the charter. What would your presentation be to me for the benefit of sending my child to your school versus the standard traditional public school system school? As, as being an educator, just to zoom out from that question, I, I think the thing that I really appreciate with our community here in Sacramento is that there is schools for 
every type of student and interest, whether that is a dual immersion school, whether that is a school that's focused on early college credits or, or, or you know, CTE programs. I mean, there is so many amazing opportunities within our community. So I think starting with that is, is understanding that, you know, that it really has to be the right fit for a student. Why would a student choose Capital College and Career Academy? Again, I'm obviously biased, but I think we offer something that no other school in the region can. First and foremost, we have dual enrollment where a student is in high school, but also enrolled at the local community college. So a dual enrollment partnership with American River College. But then we're also the only high school in the region where students can go to Sac State, take classes on their campus. A motivated young person can come through our high school and get up to three years of college completed. Conversely, though, we know on the education side of things that Statistically, here in this state, only 30% of California freshmen are going to get a college degree. Yet we continue to hear this college for all narrative. And so our model is to put an equal weight on both college and the career side of things. And so we have a whole school focused on hands-on learning. Students go through a career exploration, ultimately move into paid internships, and they're working directly with employers. Pathways into state jobs at Caltrans, working with companies like Smud, Tykert, Roblin, McCarthy, Bolt union apprenticeship programs. There are so many different pathways that I think that exposure and that relationship to industry is so also unique with with our model, with our school. And do those relationships develop with the individual school itself? It's the responsibility of the school to forge the relationship with the potential employer, or I should say, what do you call it? (laughs) Business that takes on interns. Yeah, I, I think what we found is there's just such incredible demand for a workforce in in the construction trades. And I hesitate to say construction trades because we say construction and everybody thinks, all right, you're going to go swing a hammer. But there are so many careers within construction. We really use that as a loose definition. I mean, there's construction management, architecture, engineering. There is the tertiary careers, marketing, accounting, all all these different trades and, and careers that are available to a young person. And what we found is through all levels of the construction trades, there's just such a demand. When we started this in 2019, the average age of a period one apprentice was 28 years old. Now, 2023, the average age is up to 33 years old. I mean, there is just so much demand within the industry that there's, I think, always been a willingness from industry to come to the table, but it's difficult to do that. And, and, you know, I think we've provided somewhat of a solution in that we're a whole school focused around a single industry sector and really trying to represent all facets of the industry. And it almost sounds like for the students, it's a holistic experience. It's not just the teaching. It's not just the classroom. It's actual hands-on experience through relationships with those particular businesses. Absolutely. Yeah, we go through two parts of of our program. Initially, it's a career exploration where we have a job fair on our campus. Students self-select an employer that they find interesting based on, you know, essentially the presentation that they have at their table. And so a young person then will spend an entire semester with that company seeing all facets of it. Again, whether it's the accounting, the human resources, the skill trades, we want students to have that experience to, to see what's out there. And then ultimately, after going through three rounds of that with three different companies, it is the students identified their interest and their passion. And now we're moving them into an employer internship where really the, the onus is on the employer to provide the work readiness training. What we've heard time and again from employers is somewhat of a frustration, not just at this you know, K-12 to area, but even at the, the higher ed, that, that educational institutions aren't nimble enough to, to really change the changing nature of the industry. And so what better way to prepare a young person for a career than pairing them directly with the industry partner that knows you know, what, what they need for their workforce? It would beg the question that if this was an easy process, 
a lot more people would be doing it. But you're about to open a charter school. What's that process look like and how does it happen that you're even able to show up in a community with a new school? Yeah, I think the background on, on the school, I, I live in North Sacramento. I was volunteering, Grant Little League. I, at the same time, I was a high school teacher, became a middle school teacher, became a high school principal. As I've told you know, time and again to, to so many people, as they tell the story of CCCA, it really just grew out of frustration, frustration that our community has some of the lowest educational attainment rates, some of the highest crime rates of the entire city. And it's night and day. I was a principal in Natomas. It is night and day difference in terms of outcomes. And it was a frustration of, you know, why can't our community have something better, have more opportunities for young people? Why are we okay with the status quo? North Sacramento has generational poverty, unlike any other part of our city. And so first and foremost, I think it was it just came from frustration. And then the fortunate, you know, fortunate enough to, in, in 2019, have a series of phone calls and create that original board of directors. And, you know, so much of those early years was conversations and listening and bringing in community. And again, trying to bridge that gap between the needs of industry, the needs of our community and coalescing around, you know, our, our mission and our vision. And, you know, here we are today, you know, you have to go through the charter petition process where you create a document that essentially outlines everything from what your curriculum looks like, the need in the community, to what do you do if your school closes? That then has to go before an authorizing body, which in our case was the Sacramento County Office of Ed. And ultimately, it's up to those elected officials to either approve or deny the charter. And then even after that, it's like you get your charter, it's it's not, all right, doors are open tomorrow. I mean, you you have to obviously have enrollment. You have to have the facility. There is an MOU process that we go through. There's certain benchmarks that you still meet. And so it's it's a, a an incredibly lengthy, rigorous process to go through. You know, I credit my, my family quite a bit for sticking in, in there with me. I've got now a five-year-old, got a three-month-old at home. And so a lot of credit to my wife because, like I said, I've been at this since 2019. You've been busy. Quite a bit. I used to, I was also a high school principal until last year. So all of this was going on while being a high school principal. And congratulations, a recognized high school principal with some nice awards and, and certifications. You. So congratulations on that. Thank you. Back to the, the process of starting the school. What was it that drove you to say, I think there's an opportunity and I'm going to be the one to take this opportunity? Yeah, I think it, yeah, I was was working with a Little League baseball team originally with, with second, third graders at a group of about 12 students. Uh, seven or eight of their parents were just not in their lives. And we took that group of kids over a period of geez, six, seven years where we ended up you know, fundraising, getting them a tuxedo, four-course meal. And so, honestly, it was, it was like those kids. And what I was seeing in the classroom and just, again, I go back to that word frustration of, you know, why are we okay with the status quo? How do we rethink education. And and at the same time, I was seeing all of these articles about the need within the construction trades for skilled and trained workforce. We know from an educational standpoint, hands-on learning makes concepts more concrete and improves math and reading outcomes. And so it just felt like this amazing opportunity that was right there in front of me and no one was taking it. And I probably a bit of naivety of, of you know what it would take to open a school, and then once we were really into the process, it was, you know, I think just grit and perseverance of you know here's an obstacle and we're going to just take one step in front of another and and overcome whatever that obstacle is, and that's really what we've been doing since since we started back in January 2019. Well, I certainly applaud the persistence and the perseverance to get there because 
you're close. The opening is anticipated? August, yeah, August of 2023, just a couple months away. Oh boy, that'll happen faster than you know. Yeah, we have at this point nearly 40 students that have already applied. We're finding that particularly in our community where there's not a lot of school choice options, high school's not yet on the radar of a lot of eighth grade families. So we've been making calls, we've been running youth events, and those conversations have been really informative. Families are like, oh yeah, we haven't really thought of, of high school yet. And so we feel pretty pretty excited about where we're at with enrollment and expect to have uh, 90 students enrolled in our first freshman class. It will be our first graduating class of the school. And you just answered the next question. So will you start with just a freshman class and then work them all the way through the four years as you build That's right. That's year right. after year? We, we're starting intentionally small. We, we really want to establish a strong culture of students and staff, you know, hit our metrics and really go about, I mean, this is what we said the whole time, go about doing things the right way. We, you know, we don't want to just you know, get as many kids in the school as possible and, and kind of halfway do things. We, we want to make sure that we're intentional with what we're doing, that we're serving students, that we're a community resource. Mm-hmm. While we are a high school, we also have been running elementary and middle school events. We want to continue doing that, being, again, a conduit for, for young people to just rethink what education could look like and, and think of other careers that they've never been exposed to before. And then on the, the other side of that, we're working with both Sac State's Office of Continuing Ed and UC Davis, to try and think through what could it look like to use our site, again, as a community resource where they can come in and provide some work readiness training for adult community members, potentially families, uh, parents of, of the students that are enrolled in the school. So let me ask a question. As a high school educator, you're working establishing a charter school in the same community that you taught? I taught right next door. I was in Tomas. Prior to that, I was up in North Highlands. But I volunteered extensively in, in Del Paso Heights and in North Sacramento. Okay, so in that career path that you've got, you're a high school educator, an administrator, but you're starting a charter school that in some way, shape, or form is competitive to the existing school. How was that received in the general environment of the, the school? So. First and, and foremost, I mean, I was never kind of weeded into the politics of charter, non-charter schools. It just happened that I was hired at a charter school for part of my career and uh, was fortunate to be at Natoma's Charter as an administrator where there was, you know, there was others before me that have gone on to found other charter schools out of that. It's a, it's a really neat incubator of, I think, innovation there. And I will give our executive director and, and the team at Natoma's Charter a lot of credit for supporting my work and, and really being behind me and recognizing that yeah, this is a need within that community. I think, unfortunately, through the chartering process, you know, the politics became unavoidable. We heard things like, oh, well, you know, you're going to take kids away from the and resources away from the traditional comprehensive high school. The reality of it is that the closest comprehensive high school, a third of kids are not graduating. And so what kids are we stealing? I mean, these are these are kids that are falling through the cracks. And again, it goes back to that status quo that just, to me, was unacceptable. Mm-hmm. Is there any pushback from the California Teachers Association? There was some pushback through the charter petition process. Again, I think, you know, the way that, that we've approached this process is really to try and make partnerships with as, as many groups and, and individuals that we can, whether that's a community-based nonprofit, 
a local comprehensive high school. We really, again, want to rethink the way in which we approach education, whether that is you know, bringing those individuals on our campus, whether it's partnering with our authorizer, Sac County Office of Ed or Sac State, to look at teacher credentialing, because there's a, not only a teacher shortage, but there's also a shortage even more so in the CTE space. And we feel like that's an area that we can help support. And the, CTE the is? Yeah, career technical education. Okay, thank Sorry, you. Sorry, education is just riddled with all these acronyms. Yes, yes. <laughs> As you look at the, the future... What do you see in the state of California from the standpoint of either charter schools or just education in general? Because I think a lot of people of or parents of children in the school system are frustrated, and they're frustrated for a variety of different reasons. Something needs to change. The, you know, the, the ratings of the state and its education are, are abysmal. What do you see the future of charter schools versus the traditional public school system, and actually even inclusive of the, you know, the private schools? I think what, what's fascinating, I mean, we started this 2019 pre-pandemic, and it felt like there was a need then. And coming out of the pandemic, now it just feels like it's grown exponentially. Un- unfortunately, so much of education has been politicized, both on the, the state and l- national level. And I agree. I think that there's you know, when we, we boil things down, it's about educating young people, preparing them for the future of tomorrow. And it's, you know, how do we kind of rise above some of the, the politics that exist and build partnerships and just rethink the way in which, you know, we're supporting young people. I mean, you look at the achievement gap. We, there's there's a formula to solve the achievement gap, yet it continues to exist. And it's, it's I mean, there's so much research around that. And, and I think that it requires communities, it requires parents to, to really, you know, have their voice heard and, and say that, you know, we're not okay with, with just the status quo. I'll say just speaking on the charter school side of things and, you know, some, some, some of the legislation I think is, has been really positive, but the original intent was to have less restrictions and to rethink charters and now rethink education. And now we're to the point where your charters are pretty much held to the same restrictions as a comprehensive school site, but still have to hold your feet and have that accountability in a very much different way. And so I think still trying to find those opportunities for, for innovation within within existing law and, and you know what's, what's allowed. There's not many new charter schools happening in this state. I mean, it, it's, it's a difficult thing to, to create, unfortunately. It doesn't surprise me, but the bigger question I've got then is kind of back to this this funding and the distribution of funds. How is that decided in any particular district? Because so many districts are, as you know, challenged in getting funding for their schools and for their teachers and for their supplies and et cetera. I mean, that's going to be really the interesting thing to track is because the current funding model in, in the state of California is per pupil funding. So you have this student, they, you know, their attendance equates to this amount of money, whether you're a charter or your traditional comprehensive high school. But with the declining population in the state, with the amount of people that are moving out of state, with the declining enrollment up and down, particularly in coastal areas of the state, it, it's going to be really interesting to see, you know, there's been some discussions of, do we change that funding formula? What will happen is, you know, will be interesting to track to see because, you know, there's there's small rural districts that are hanging on by a thread. And, you know, you have large comprehensive districts, some of the largest like L.A. Unified that, you know, has seen significant enrollment declines. And, you know, that that has an impact on the programs that they're able to operate and run within that school district. And, for example, in one of those smaller communities, whatever it may be, wherever 
say, school district XYZ in the middle of a cornfield, mm-hmm. and if that's declining, there's not an opportunity for a charter either. It'd be the same situation that's equally as challenged by funding. Exactly. Exactly. I, you know, they, I think it, on our side, when you look at those, the, the school district enrollment numbers, you, I think we're fortunate here in Sacramento that we've seen an influx of people moving into this community. So we're not necessarily facing that same challenge as those in more rural areas or in, in the coastal regions. But you're right. I mean, it, it's going to impact a, a school either way. And, and certainly a charter wouldn't be able to survive if, if there's not enough enrollment at your traditional comprehensive school. And then back to the teachers of a charter school, who's responsible for the the payroll, the benefits, et cetera? Is that literally the charter as its own business entity? Yeah, I mean, it really depends. So we have dependent charters, which are operated through the district. There's models out there where districts will form their own charter. And in which case, the district office will handle payroll, the back office side of things. There are single site charters that will handle their own finances, payroll, human resources, all internally. Many charters will basically hire that out to outside vendors. And then you have large charter management organizations, which have 15, 20, 60 schools, and they're a large organization in themselves. And and that's just a whole different beast than I think, particularly our model, where we were started as a community. It's a single site. So you are literally just the orientation of your geography. Uh, absolutely. It, it we, are, we are founded in North Sacramento by self by you know vested in industry partners and, and community members that have all just come together and said hey we need something different in this community it's quite an undertaking you know <laughs> and, I, and I certainly applaud you for the effort in the interest of education for the students to break the cycles of generational poverty but in the grand scheme of things are the charter schools once they're in the community accepted by the community politicos, leadership, business community, et cetera? I think typically there is, unfortunately, and, and uh, you know, there there have been bad actors. I mean, it, it's a business. There's, you can look it up online. There was for-profit, essentially, charter schools in San Diego that were essentially like diploma mills, which is, you know, that that's unacceptable. And the California Charter School Association came out and, and you know, acknowledged that same thing. Like, hey, we're not supporting this school. The, the end of the day, whether your kid's going to a comprehensive school, whether they're going to a private school, a charter school, parents want you know the best for their kids. And if you are offering something that you know is an asset for the community, for the children, I mean that of course you're going to have support. And and you know there will always be the politics around charters. But again, if if you're making a difference, you're doing things the right way. You're, you're providing a service that's not being offered anywhere else, you know, it will, it will be well-received. So in closing, is there anything that you want to envelop to those listening that kind of just says you support the local charters, yours especially? I mean, there's, there's going to be some people who you will share this with, and it's going to help them, help them make a decision, whether it be for their student and or for the business support of that particular school, what would you say? Just think, again, that that there are so many choices out there in our local community. I think that we have something to offer, unlike any other in the region. And ultimately, you, you know, I think it boils down to how are we best serving students? And, and one thing that I will promise you is that when you walk in the door at our school, you're not going to find a group of adults that care more about kids' success 
that cares more about our community than we do. I mean, we're deeply vested in, in, in individual success and, you know, really providing that exposure to industry partners. And so, you know, that's what we, we always share with our industry is just, you know, here's an amazing opportunity to not only support your business side of things, but really transform a community that, that you know, frankly, has not had a lot of, of good things happening to it the last 15, 20, 30 years. And, and the one thing I think that I really like about engagement in the educational support in a community as it changes and improves and more students graduate, they come back. Yeah. Yeah. They like what they got in their particular communities. Yeah. We actually built into our, our high school model. We, we were actually chartered as a four plus one. And what that means is that a student can come back for their fifth year as they're transitioning into college, transitioning into a career. And, and essentially, we would hire that student on as a mentor. They'd still have access to their teachers, the supports that we offer, uh, and again, provide that transition. I think, you know, developing that culture where, where a young person wants to give back to the community is, is essential. Well, and to see the success ratios improve, improve, improve. Yeah. Not only from graduation high school, but actually graduation from college. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I don't know, I just, for me, I think it just goes back to, when you look at the statistics of our community, it, it's how can how can anybody look at that and be okay with the status quo? You know, we're not naive in in, in thinking that we're going to be this you know, solution to all all challenges in our community. But again, it's an opportunity that is really really unique. And you know, we wouldn't be here without our, our community college, you know, Sac State partnerships, the industry partnerships, and and so you know, I just feel incredibly thankful to even have this opportunity. Just to digress a little bit, I drove by the school building every day since I've lived in Sacramento. And the day that we got the keys was was surreal to, to say, wow, this is our space. And with construction just starting, I mean, this it's just these been these surreal benchmarks. I just kind of have to pinch myself and say, all right, this isn't a dream. You know, this is this is really happening. Well, it's great to see your enthusiasm is effusive. And it's it it just I, I think everybody will feel it. And it's just wonderful to see the commitment and the consideration for not only the kids, but the community that you're going to serve within. Thank you. Well, thank you. Yeah, appreciate you having me on. Thank you for listening to the Nonprofit Podcast Series. I hope you enjoyed the episode. If what you heard moved you, please reach out to that organization and do what you can to help. If you like and appreciate what we're doing to support local nonprofits, please give us a positive review, subscribe, and share. If you're a nonprofit with an interest in participating in an episode, you can reach us at info at multipointstrategies.com. The Nonprofit Podcast Network is a production of Multipoint Content Strategies and is recorded and edited by Hear Me Now Studio. Mm-hmm.